0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the Four One One Ground and Pound Radio Show, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host. We've got a slightly longer than average show. Jeez, we average like 107 minutes. I probably shouldn't say that. We have more uh, more to get through than usual on this show. Is Regular listeners will know we were off last week because UFC Fight Night 124 was a Sunday night card, and I can't host a podcast and provide coverage. I'm only barely acceptable at either one individually, trying to do them at the same time would be a catastrophe. So we were off last week, We uh, I covered that event, then... Last night, there was UFC 220, which was, well, it certainly was. Uh, there's, a few, We'll get into that. We will also preview this coming Saturday's UFC on Fox event. It's, uh, geez, this is not a good time of year for the UFC at the moment or for uh, a lot of MMA fans. So, uh, man, it's a rough one. It's a rough one. So we'll be previewing that. We'll also go over all the major news items that we missed. Probably talk a little bit about is Conor McGregor stripped of the title or not. The... That was comical. That was absolutely comical. And it wasn't supposed to be. Uh, The UFC trying for the umpteenth time to get... Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson in a cage together. I hope this time it works. I really do. But, you know, know, the major news items that we may have missed, we'll touch on all of that. If you've got a question or a comment and you would like to get it on the air, I'm happy to take live callers at 323-657-0901. If you would rather do that in some form of text format, please feel free to leave a comment on the... Radelich and Broadcasting Network's Facebook page. There's a post with this player embedded. Feel free to leave them there. Or you can tweet me. I don't know why I go through this every week. No one does, but it's not part of my script. I am at Winfrey MMA. That's W Y N F R E E M M A. So feel free to take that route as well if you would rather do it that way. Uh, all right. I think that's everything to start things off with. Uh, here with me as always... Four One One Mania's resident jack of all trades, Jeff Harris, is back in the building. How you doing, Jeff?
2: Uh, so how do you uh, beat the predator, Robert?
1: Well, if you're Arnold Schwarzenegger, you drop a giant log on him. If you're Danny Glover, you use plot convenience. Uh, if you're Ad- if you're Adrian Brody, you let them kill each other off. And if you're any of the poor dumb bastards in the Alien versus Predator franchise, you kind of let the aliens do it cuz, you know. Robert, you're you Robert,
2: everything you just said is wrong. Predator by making him blow himself up. Ha ha ha.
1: Get it? I do. It's uh it's a pun. Ha, 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 I-, I appreciate I can appreciate the joke.
2: We saw Predator get blown up last night. Ha 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 ha. He he, he blew himself up. (laughs) I'm so funny. I'm Jeffrey Harris, everyone. Welcome to 411 Ground and Pound Radio.
1: Alright, and back with us again for this week, we have our East Coast correspondent and pugilistic pontiff Pat Mullen is here. How how about you, Pat? How are things over there on the East Coast?
0: Just want to let everyone know I'm recovering well after Paige Van Zandt's surgery.
1: Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh let's go ahead and start with Fight Night one twenty four, because that was again a week ago that was you know, last Sunday evening. Um Trying to rem- I'm looking at this card. I'm trying to remember how much of it went. Uh, in your main event, Jeremy Stevens defeats Duho Choi via TKO in the second round. And I have to now deal with people saying, look, Jeremy Stevens has finishing power. Like, ugh. Well, let me clarify my position as far as this goes before we get into the fight itself. Jeremy Stevens is not a guy with, you know, pillow fists. He's not someone you really want to get hit by. But there's a significant difference between overblown and non-existent. Jeremy Stevens' punching power is overblown. This was only his, I believe, fifth finish related to strikes in his 18 or whatever UFC fights. Probably more than that actually. He's been with them forever. And uh, if memory serves, one of those stoppages was also a uh, doctor stoppage rather than, you know, him actually him stopping the guy in the more conventional sense. So it,
2: His last again. three knockouts were Joy, Bermudez, and Honey Jason. All those yeah. were legit knockouts. Yes, not doctor stoppages. No, the buckles. It was buckles.
1: Uh, bear in mind, again, like he has again, not a lot of finishes, but I believe the buckles fight. Was the one that, he knocked uh,
2: out Rafael dos Anjos with that amazing mor- that amazing Street Fighter uppercut at UFC yeah. 91.
1: And Johnny Hendricks knocked out John Fitch with a left.
2: All right, I'm just, you know he has 17 Tiger. knockout wins.
1: <laughs> yeah, how many of them were in the UFC?
2: I mean, if
1: memory serves,
2: let's see, less than one, half. one, two, three...
0: He's got, what, I think it's five total after Choi?
1: No, Choi was number, I believe Choi was six for his UFC run.
0: And he's anyway, had, what, my, 20, 20-something UFC fights?
1: Something like that, yeah, a lot. I mean, he's been there almost I think 10 he's
0: 27 years. or 28. <laughs> but,
1: it's a lot. <laughs> I, I, my point being, here, here's my point. Yes, his power is oversold. That doesn't mean it is not existent. There is space in between those two points, guys. And Jeremy Stevens certainly has power, but it is not the the same type of power that you're being sold. Uh, Anyway, as for the fight itself, thank God for this fight. This fight saved this card Um, pretty much unequivocally. Yep. The first round was pretty good. Both guys were putting in leg kicks and body work. Choi was doing a really good job of staying at the at an appropriate distance. He was doing a, a lot of moving. And Jeremy Stevens was doing a lot of kind of shuffling forward and throwing the looping hooks as he's trying to change stances. It's it even when regardless of where you believe he is skill-wise, that bit of his skill set is not good. It's not when he's at his best. But it's not the worst if you're just trying to range find, and that's a lot of what he did. We got into the second, and Jeremy Stevens started jabbing. Uh, Then he and Choi got into a bit of a firefight for a couple of seconds, and that's when things kind of started going downhill. They both got tagged, but... Jeremy Stevens is much more comfortable fighting while a little bit rattled than Duho Choi is. Choi also stopped managing the distance correctly. He got his back against the cage a lot more in the second round. And once your back is against the cage, there is, you've only got two directions. As he tried to circle off of the fence, Jeremy Stevens cracked him with a right. And, and here's the other point about Stevens' power. If Stevens power were what it is advertised to be, that one punch would have knocked out Duho Choi. It didn't. It dropped him, and Stevens followed up with some hellacious like that was that was great stuff from Jeremy Stevens on the ground. He he was throwing his whole body weight into those elbows. It was great. And he again got got the big and you know, got the finish. He was a it was a good fight for, you know, the seven and a half minutes it went on. Good win for Stevens. Choi, eh. This fight should not really, like, if you're Duho Choi's management or the UFC and you don't want to give Choi, if you want to test him but you don't want to keep throwing him into the deepest end of the pool with bad stylistic matchups, Somebody put this out on, there on Twitter, and I forget who it was, so my apologies. But this really probably should have been Choi versus, like, Jason Knight, which is what they should do next for both guys, incidentally. But Stevens, again, got a pretty impressive win. I don't know what you do next with him. He's already beaten Darren Elkins. And Darren Elkins also won on this card.
2: He's fighting Josh Emmett next.
1: Oh, they've announced Stevens and Emmett. Yeah, so I'm down. I'm down for that. That's that's a pretty good one. All right, uh, yeah, Jeff, I'll start with you. What'd you feel about this fight? Because again, I I think it saved the card in a, in a very real way. I thought
2: it, I thought it was a fun fight. It was a good fight. Uh, th- I think this is arguably the biggest win of Stevens's career. I think, at the very least, I believe it's the the first time he's won in a main event setting. Um, he's had a few main events, but he's always come up short in those type of fights and settings. Like he lost to Joe Lozon uh, after the Dos Años fight. It seems like whenever Stevens picks up like a significant win, he'll either go on a losing streak or then he'll turn right around and lose. Like uh, when he first moved down to featherweight, um, he was having a pretty good streak. Then he lost uh, that main event to Cub Swanson uh, he beat head and Brow, then he lost to Frankie Edgar and Mui Cano. Um so I know I get why he's doing this quick turnaround for Orlando. He's finally got some momentum and Emmett he snuck way up the rankings into number four after that win over Lamas. So this is Stevens' chance to kind of get himself into the title picture. I don't know if that's gonna pay off for him. I thought he looked good here. I think I like Choi but he still looks he still he's still looking green to me and he looks looks like he really just needs to work on his striking technique and his defense more than anything. I think he fights too much on reflex. Um but it was a good performance for Stevens and uh I don't know if he'll he'll beat uh Emmett but I think it's a, it's a decent fight. Hopefully Emmett makes weight um in Stevens for that matter cuz he's had he's had a uh, that issue a couple times, uh, I believe. But um at least once, I think. You know, you know, Stevens may not he, he may not have ever really become like that elite contender, but he's had longevity, you know, for all of his flaws. He's had a pretty long career in the UFC and he's managed he's managed uh to stay in there, uh, despite everything. Um, so this is his but this is really the first time he could potentially be a title contender.
1: And unfortunately for him, the champion is, regardless of the upcoming fight between Holloway and Edgar, going to be someone who pretty soundly defeated him. But rematches aren't the worst thing in the world, either. Did he fight uh, Pat, Holloway
2: before? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He
1: did. Max schooled him pretty thoroughly, because he's Max freaking Holloway. Uh, Pat, what were your thoughts on this fight? I know there were... I know a lot. you missed a lot of this card, but uh, the... The main event, I seem to recall you... I think you're the one who actually pointed out the increased jab output in the second that I've now you know, essentially shamelessly stolen.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I like Jeremy Stevens going in just based on how the styles matched up. And he, he proved me right in this instance. Um, I had said before the fight, I think Jeremy Stevens in his last three to four bouts, with the exception of the fight with Henato Moicano, he, he looked his best um, in terms of what he was able to do in the cage. And even, even previously in his bigger career wins, I think even in some of his losses, like the loss of Frankie Edgar, he looks better in that fight than a lot of wins he's had in the past. Um, and, and so in this fight, he did a lot of things right. And he, you pointed out the stance switching to try to, to try to gauge the distance, not necessarily use it as a fighting tool. Uh, he did it. It wasn't pretty, It certainly didn't look good, and it could have gotten him into trouble with a much different type of fighter, like a Max Holloway, for example, obviously. But he tried it against Choi, and when Choi didn't make him pay for what he was doing when he crossed up, he knew he would get away with it. I liked the variations in his attack. I thought he chose good times to mix up attacks to the legs, body, and head, much more so than what we saw from Choi. And on top of that, when he started using using that jab more in the second round to properly gauge the distance to line his shots up, that's ultimately what made the difference in the fight. I think it's a good effort from Jeremy. And I look forward to the fight with Emmett because it's a meaningful fight between two guys who are really peaking right now. And anytime you have that, it's significant and it's usually entertaining because each guy knows – this is my shot. I need to do something with it.
2: So, Pat, uh, yeah. 28 fights in the UFC here for Jeremy Stevens. This will be his 29th fight. Is he, like, finally maturing at this point? Is it still possible for fighters to mature this late into their athletic careers? Even though Stevens is not like an old man, he's 31 years old, is he turning a no,
0: I absolutely think so. I think he's finally with a camp where he's been able to learn and implement things into his game that would have had him much more successful than where he's already been. A lot of what he's been able to accomplish is on a lot of raw talent and just drive in fights. He has a championship attitude in terms of he's a very difficult guy to make quit. Even when you're giving him a beating, he still comes and now that he's been able to get a little bit of technical prowess added to a very rough and tumble game, it makes him all the more dangerous. 31 of fighters generally still in their peak prime of their career. Um, so the fact that he's been implementing new things into his game to complement what's been there, add that in with his fight experience and his, his fight intelligence getting more sound with each passing fight, in his last few, since he's trained camps out in California, I think he's becoming the best Jeremy Stevens we've seen, and may even get better.
1: He's with the Lions right now, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be a much better fit for him at this juncture.
0: Eric Calfiero is one of those coaches where if you're a guy he can work with on a certain level, he's going to maximize what you can do effectively. Now, that's not to say everybody Eric Piero touches works well with him. Some guys just don't have the elements that complement what he tries to implement into their style. But Steven seems to have it, and it's worked so far.
1: Yeah, I, I look forward to him and Emmett. And featherweight's an interesting division at the moment. I'm also really looking forward to, you know, Edgar and Holloway coming up in the near future. And I, I hope love it that holds, fight. Hope it holds together. Frankie's going to die.
2: <laughs>
1: Probably. I I said the first time they announced that that I thought Max would be the first guy to finish Frankie. Yeah, I stand by that. All right. In the co-main event, a numerical upset here. Jessica Rose Clark defeated Paige Van Zanthi unanimous decision 30-27, 29-28, 29-28. Not a whole lot here.
2: This fight um, sucked. Cl-
1: Paige couldn't really stop Clark taking her down. In fact, tried that god-awful, like, headlock takeover that I hate so much and is so prevalent amongst female fighters. Thankfully, it seems to be phasing out, but there was a stretch of years, and I mean, both Pat and Jeff can attest to this. Every time two women clinched, one of them was wrapping the head and going for that throw, and it was, it's just the worst. Yep, and Paige didn't get the memo that hey, <laughs> this has been this isn't a good thing anymore. And tried it, um, and once she was on her back, there wasn't a whole lot there. There was, and to be fair, Clark didn't do a whole lot other than kind of half hunt for an arm triangle and control. It was not a again there just wasn't a whole lot good. Uh, the third round, Clark coasts and Van Zant tries a bunch of jump kicks to no effect. Uh comes out it came out between, I believe, rounds two and three for the broadcast that uh Paige broke her arm in the first round. She tried to, apparently this is the same uh thing that happened to Dominic Cruz with his recent broken arm, just trying a spinning back fist and not Either not quite measuring it or having the other guy move into it in a certain way. You land with the forearm instead of the fist, and snap goes the bone. Um, It needs to be brought up very briefly that if that was... Because if she broke her arm in the first, and it was her right arm, I believe, in the second... She was actually caught in a triangle choke for a prolonged period of time where the where her right arm was the one being attacked in the triangle, and Clark shifted a couple of times between the choke attempt and, and and attacking with an arm bar, still with the triangle of course and i I have to wonder if the exacerbated nature of her break because she posted the x-ray the i forget which of the two bones it was, forgive me but it's either the radius or the ulna. I forget which is which. I don't especially care. But that whole bone broke in half. Like, that thing snapped. And I actually wonder if a lot of the hand fighting and, you know, repositioning in the second might not have... If it might not have started as a much cleaner, much simpler, you know, cracker fracture that is a simple fix, and continuing to fight with it resulted in breaking the bone entirely, and now she has to have surgery to fix it. This is why you really shouldn't fight with broken appendages, guys. I know that... I mean, you shouldn't fight with broken hands, much less a broken arm, but... We, as a sport, seem to lionize both toughness as far as... Now look, I'll fight through any injury, and we also tend to lionize the and overly discuss the like you're a professional fighter in the UFC. I'm going to go ahead and make a minor assumption that you're okay fighting through pain and a certain level of adversity. There's still levels to that, but you're not going to quit at the you know, the first time you get hit really hard. It's really unnecessary. It's really stupid, and quite frankly, it's significantly shortening careers. And to anyone defending her corner for not like she her corner should have stopped this fight straight up like as soon as you know your fighter has something broken like that and you really should just like nope, we're done. We don't want this to get any worse. We don't want there to be, you know, resulting nerve damage because that can happen. And again and people kind of defended it because well Paige wanted to keep fighting. Of uh, again, see previous statement. Professional fighters always want to keep fighting. Why do you think they complain about stoppages that were clearly justified? Tim Sylvia was pissed when Herb Dean saved his arm from being irreparably mangled. Like, this guy just had both bones shattered by Frank Mir and wanted to keep fighting. Of course, a professional fighter worth their salt wants to keep fighting regardless of injury until their body physically shuts down. That's, what they're, that's just how that is. That's how they're made. If you're, in the, if you're a coach or a corner man, your job is to assess their desire to keep on fighting and weigh that opposite the physical detriment that is going to occur. I mean, Gilbert Melendez's corner should have stopped his fight with Jeremy Stevens between rounds two and three. You sent him out for mm-hmm. five more minutes to get his ass kicked. He wasn't winning that fight. You did, you did him no favors. What's the, You only let them continue fighting if there's still a chance they can win. And I don't mean like, well, anyone can win a fight. No. Like, seriously, consider the totality of circumstance. This should have been stopped. Her corner uh, are like buffoons who should not have been there. Uh, decent enough win for Rose Clark and that's my rant on this. Pat, I'm fairly certain you have a rant of your own so the floor is yours
0: uh, first congratulations to Clark who had just a horrible week leading up to it with $30,000 worth of stuff stolen from her house and her pet killed um, so congratulations thirty, It's something positive out of that week that's just a horrible week uh, yeah the corner needs to be fired the corner needs to be seen by every fighter and know that I will never work with these people it's one thing in that scenario. Let's say this was a title fight, okay? And they wanted to give her an extra round when she after she had told them it was broken to try to do something to you know do that. or if this is a, a make or break career level fight, it wasn't. This was a throwaway showcase fight on a nothing card where they risked significant potential injuries beyond what was already there to her career and she's 23 years old. This corner has no business being involved in this sport. Uh, when one of your cornermen is your significant other than that you're dating, that's usually not a good mix, and it shows here. This was bad all around. Say what you want about the deficiencies Paige had coming out of Team Alpha Male and that, yes, yeah, she did need a change in camp in order to, to grow her skill set from where it was at. But the camp she's at now based in Oregon, which is Chael Sonnen's camp, I don't know who's coaching there. I don't know anything about that camp other than she's their biggest name. And that's not to knock the people who were there. Maybe they have some potential stars. But they have no proven coaches, no proven coaching, and no track record of, of success. So you make that leap and you regress in your skills entirely. It's time to leave. That was a bad effort before the broken forearm. That's a bad corner job. Everything about that is bad. And I'm going to leave it at that.
1: Yeah, the, the last thing I want to say technically about this fight, and then I'll give Jeff his thoughts. The way Paige seems to have developed her fighting style in the wake of the loss to Rosemar Yunus. And slightly more after the loss to Michelle Watterson. She does a lot of liking to stay on the outside and kind of snipe with kicks. Which is not the worst style in the world, but if you're going to do that, there's a few things that you need in your game. One of them is variety in your attacks, the other is good defense, good footwork, and a real good understanding of movement and your position in the cage, uh, ring generalship. And I know we fight in a cage, not a ring, but the term still applies and Paige doesn't really have any of that if that's the style she wants to foster for herself that can be a winning style but there's a lot of adjustments she has to make in terms of how she implements it and i seriously doubt she's with a group of people who are well equipped to make that transition all right jeff your thoughts on the co event
2: uh here's what i found about her team the jujitsu coach is fabiano Turner, and I guess part of this move happened because she and Chael Sonnen have the same manager, so, you know, I don't really know if that's the way to, you know, manage or dictate your career. I mean, yeah, he's Chael Sonnen. On the other hand, he's Chael Sonnen, you know, he's, you know...
1: Chael Shale Sonnen career. beat Rampage Jackson last yeah, night. But, eh? Yeah, yeah, hate Chael Sonnen. <laughs> yeah, but it's more—it's more, it's more
2: like—it's more like because he's Chael Sonnen, he's—he's he's more no, known for his notoriety than his accomplishments. Um, yeah, it's
0: persona over over success.
2: Right. So I—I I mean, like I—I I mean, well, shes, when she's originally
0: reading... from Oregon too. Like her family is still there. Right. She left Reno basically to learn. She left for Reno, I should say, to learn to fight. But this was an invitation for her to go all back home, which was a selling point. And now, what Jeff is bringing up too, as far as shared management with, you know, a persona.
2: I, I mean, what I'm reading about her new camp, nothing really stands out. All, 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 all that, all it really says is that, like, her jujitsu coaches. Fabiano Scherner. I'm not as knowledgeable. And as keep Kansas. in mind, Pat. Is, and keep uh,
0: in mind, this is this is the same jujitsu coach that Chael Sonnen has employed. And <laughs> say what you want to about <laughs> Chael. I think everyone will agree. If there is any glaring weakness in Chael's game, it has been his submission defense. Can we all agree?
2: Yeah. Yeah, but like this pro, I mean, to Chael's defense, Pat, like this guy probably wasn't his jujitsu coach for most of his career. I mean, um, for most of his career, uh, Chael trained out of Team Quest, Oregon, and uh, with guys like Neil Melanson, you know, you know. And I think I would say Neil Melanson is a pretty legit uh, BJJ guy, as far as I'm aware. But, he is, uh, and I don't know. there's a, there's also
1: a significant degree of you know you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That goes into right, right, the yeah. existence of Chael right. Sonnen,
2: right? Nothing, all I'm saying is what I'm reading about in her in her move to Oregon. Nothing's really, nothing really stands out as all that impressive. As sort of like it was, it it was sort of predicated or, or it was directed by her manager, who is the same manager as Chelsea and, and it, it doesn't really sound like it was a positive move. I mean, I here's what I would say in Paige's favor. I I gave her the final round, um, even with a broken with a broken arm. And after Rose Clark, you know, laying on her for the first two rounds, she was able to come back and I think, I think effectively take the last round with a broken arm. What I'm trying to say is Paige Van Zandt, no matter what you think or say about her, I think she's very talented. And I think she can do better. And I think she can do better at Women's Flyweight if she applies herself. I just don't know if this is the right camp to get her there. Uh, i don't no, know absolutely any...
0: absolutely agree but, with you, Jeff.
2: but look, the other thing is you know if if a fighter is constantly switching camps, that brings around its own set of controversy i'm not going to tell her how she should run her career or life, but i you know
0: some some of the word was that she was leaving yeah. alpha male because yeah. she she broke up with Cody Garbrandt because um, they had been a thing, and then they
2: I mean, put they, up they to they both have,
0: focus they, on their careers.
2: I mean, this co- Garbrandt is married. I mean, he married a now, girl who yes. was dating. For, yeah. I mean, as far as I know, the thing with him and Van Zant was like ages ago. I don't, I mean.
0: I think they've been split for about two years, give or take, you know, whatever. But, but again, you know, you're, you're there and then he does start dating this girl. Maybe she couldn't cope with it. Who knows? That's all whatever. But again, you know, the camp jumping, she jumped to a local camp in her ba- in her backyard, went home. And obviously, you know, if we're going to judge it by the merits of this fight, it was completely a step backwards, if not four steps backwards, because she really gained nothing from them. And they showed that they're not capable of handling a fighter in a situation like they were presented because they risked a lot of potential injuries and damage to her career long term for what? So she could go out for a three round fight that wouldn't get her any traction anyway.
2: I mean, I don't want to go that far, but I mean,
0: think about it this way, okay? There, like Robert, I, Robert I brought up about big, how the
2: to what you said. I think there's a big problem in general with with camps and, and cornermen not throwing in the towel to save their and we're lives gonna, when and they I'm, should.
0: And to be and, fair, we're going to touch on that talking about last night's event too. I'm sure.
2: Yeah, but, a little. but I mean, definitely with um, the Edson Barboza Habib fight, you know, another think, good example. I, yeah. to me that fight should not that that fight should not have gone on into the third round. Um just I mean yeah, arguably yes. There is a chance that maybe may, maybe just maybe Edson Barboza can land that Hail Mary kick and you know fighters have been able to do that, but you know he didn't do that. And he was already getting tremendously beaten up and damaged for for 10 minutes. There's no reason when you're getting that badly beaten and you're not mounting any type of offense, to me there's no reason to make a fighter answer the bell. And for all of BJ Penn's problems, at least when he was fighting against GSP, a much bigger guy, they, re- they realized he was done and they did not let him answer for the final round. Okay? Like, to me that says a lot. And I think to me there's a huge – of all the problems in this sport, it is definitely a problem. Here and in another fights, that cornermen are not are not looking out for their fighter's best interest, just to say they're tough enough to finish a fight, even though they're still going to get dominated and lose.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, next up. Well, someone else had something else. Uh, Pat, did you have anything else? You.
0: Uh, no. That's pretty much okay. where I stand on it.
1: Okay. Yeah, the we well, we're going to talk a little bit about the you know lack of cornermen doing their freaking jobs later. Uh, next up, kamaro Usman defeated Emil Weber Mech via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board.
0: This Blah. one about as expected. Um, that's that's my commentary. Uh, Mech had
1: some Mech had some interesting moments, but wasn't really equipped to handle the totality of Usman's wrestling game. Um, Usman, I really want Usman to spend some time with someone teaching him how to cut a decent promo, because this poor guy. um, After the fight, again, this this was a lot of him being able to take Mech down or control him in the clinch, and Mech turning in a decent effort. I mean, I believe he is technically the most successful guy to fight Usman in the UFC uh, with only losing 30-27 across the board. I think in every other fight he's had, he's had at least one 10-8 round, if not an outright finish. Um, Usman got on the mic and called out Colby Covington, which is good because I'm okay with that fight. Then he says that he fought at 30%. Now, I knew what he meant. I, when he, as soon as he said it, I knew what he was saying. He was not saying he only gave 30% effort. He was actually saying that he was dealing with, you know, injuries and was completely diminished coming into the fight. And that was the maximum amount of effort he could give. Kind of like,
2: or or, unlike the way Johnny Hendricks said he was only using 70% to fight GSP. Seventy percent effort. Yeah, right. Because you
0: take normally normally in a fight, you have fifty percent chance to win, but you take away one third of that chance, and you get to thirty three and a third percent chance against my one hundred and forty one and a third percent chance of victory.
1: God, I hate Scott Steiner. (laughs) I love that promo, but uh, anyway, the the point being, I knew what he was. Again, I was able to kind of read and understand exactly what he was trying to say but the way he said it sounded like "No, nah, I only came out here and gave 30%. And that's what a lot of people took it as. And he's now going to have to try and overcome that because he got I mean he he clarified relatively quickly about having about you know, some of the health issues he was having and that he could have very easily pulled out of this fight. And he uh and I don't know that this is true, but part of the stated reason that he gave for wanting to actually go through with this fight was because Mech has had some visa issues and finally was able to get one secured for this fight. He didn't want to pull out at the you know in the last little bit and leave that and leave him hanging. Uh I again I don't know how true that is, but he's now oh. got a bit of a PR issue going on with you know perceived Meaning versus intended meaning, but he's still undefeated. But he undefeated. does
2: have the longest longest active winning streak at welterweight in the UFC now.
1: Yeah, he and uh, John Fitch are the only guys to win their first seven UFC fights at welterweight. And I I like I don't I don't hate him and Colby Covington as a fight. I mean it's it's not going to be pretty, <laughs> but. I don't think it's the. It makes sense in terms of where each guy is, how you're kind of trying to match things up. And again, I, I, mean, I am okay with that uh, fight being made.
2: all might be a better fight for him. Or uh, Masvidal Masvidal have a fight?
1: I don't know. I, he might. Darren Till and Usman would be is a really interesting fight and, uh, if you want.
2: And Magny. And Magni.
1: I kind of like the Till one because it asks specific questions of each guy that have not really been asked yet. Uh, Usman has not fo- Usman has not fought a very good striker yet. And Till has not fought a very good wrestler. So, I don't know. But there's a lot of things you can do with him going forward. Uh, I'm glad Mech seems to have gotten his visa issues sorted out. This was a setback for him, but there's still a lot to like about him as a fighter. He He was pretty game through this. Again, lost clearly, but... He never quit. And that, and this is the kind of fight that can suck the will to compete out of you as it goes on. And he never got to that point mentally. So I want to give him some credit for that.
0: It uh, is also the type of fight that can suck the will out of you as a viewer to go on.
1: It can and it does. Uh, we had a few of those back-to-back on this card. Anyway, so uh, Jeff, do you have any other thoughts on the fight itself? nope alright Pat you gave your commentary moving on we had who thought let me, let me be very very clear about this for some reason Michael Johnson was the favorite to beat Darren Elkins in their fight I laughed if I were a betting man all over that it's, it's look Darren Elkins is extraordinarily limited as a fighter but he's but you really have to beat that guy like <laughs> you have to smash him and bear in mind you can smash him and still not win the fight. Mursad Bekdik smashed him into the ground for two rounds and completely rearranged his face and he still came back and won that fight. You really have to beat Darren Elkins. And Michael Johnson is not a guy who does that. Michael Johnson has a single round where he has fast hands, good power, and a generally decent enough movement to keep himself out of trouble. Good, you know, a good takedown defense game, and again, really fast hands, and non-trivial power, but that's it.
2: And it's hard once for you get me out to forget the... that he lost to Jonathan Brookens on the Ultimate Fighter. After you know,
1: pretty after pretty handily smoking Brookins in the first. Like, yeah, that one fight is essentially the tale of his UFC career.
2: And Reza Mad- he got submitted by Reza Madati. Yeah, it it's... happened almost five years ago, but like, you know, then he loses all these like, and then he'll like. Go on a cool winning streak, and then he'll just cu- keep losing again and again. So weird.
1: Yeah, and as soon as this fight was announced, like, okay, I know exactly what's going to happen. Michael Johnson will have a pretty good first round because Darren Elkins gets hit a lot.
2: And weight I mean, cutting even hit- is not. I mean, I mean, cutting down to another weight class it doesn't give you an advantage. Just, it, it does. I, I don't you know have- why. When can it, it, ca- when does it, can't it really give you give an you advantage? advantage?
1: You just have to be able to fight in such a way that maximizes the advantages it gives you.
0: Yeah, and, and I understand the point Jeff is making, too, in that there are guys who, rather than, you know, clean up their fighting deficiencies and learn how to stop a takedown or learn how to slip a punch, they instead elect to move down in a division as if that's going to answer those problems. If I'm understanding you right, Jeff.
2: Well, I mean, look at Cole, look at Cole Miller. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and, and I've heard interviews with Cole Miller and he was adamant that he is bigger and stronger as a featherweight. And then he goes on like, like just an abysmal losing streak as a featherweight. And he was, I mean, for the, and, and for the
0: same reasons in, he lost fights at lightweight. I, I,
2: and, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know because when I saw him at featherweight, he looked slower. He looks slow and dull, and and, ever, and the guys he's fighting are faster and quicker and I think, sharper.
0: I think it was Dan Miller. I think Dan Miller had dropped from middleweight to welterweight at one point, and he talked about how he's much better suited at welterweight and he, he's such a better fighter, and he literally came out and fought the same way he always fights as a mediocre grappler with no striking ability And I laughed, and I was like, well, new weight class, same Dan Miller, because this idiot thinks that by dropping down in weight, it automatically makes him a better fighter. And it doesn't, like unless Robert said, you fight strategically to maximize whatever potential advantages that may have given you. But most guys do it because they just think they're going to be the bigger man when they rehydrate, and it's going to answer their problems, when in fact it actually compounds a lot of those problems when you're relying on size alone.
2: But even in MMA... Bigger guys don't necessarily win. We saw that last night. It's not. No, a, that's the uh, whole. That's not, the
0: whole thing, and that's that's, that's to not your point too. Content. We talked about how they look. No, we talk about how they look sluggish and slow compared to the guys who are natu- who are making that weight class without crazy efforts to cut weight and are naturally suited there, and as such know how their body is and they're fine at that weight class because they're not killing themselves to make it.
2: Now, like Luke Rockhold, he's one fighter who I think is like you know gifted in terms of size. Like, he's a big, tall guy, but he's, like, actually, he actually knows how to use that size, and he doesn't, like, burn himself out in the first round. But, like, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Like, I don't even dislike Michael Johnson. Um, he I mean, he's had his fair share of impressive wins in the UFC. I just don't. Every, every fighter, it seems, whenever they're on a losing streak, they always believe the answer is I'll move down a weight class and I'll reinvent myself at a lower weight and I'll be bigger and stronger. But cutting all that, I don't even think cutting all that weight is going to make you bigger and stronger. It's just going gonna, gonna to make you more depleted and, more, and, and slower and tired. That
0: generally is the case. If it, one of the rare examples of a guy who cut weight and successfully, without adding anything to his game, is a better fighter is Damien Maya because he strategically and stylistically benefits from that size because those fights aren't contested with speed or or you know stamina in that regard because of what he's doing being the human backpack it plays to his strength to do that when he's that guy coming down versus what we're talking about, like you used Cole Miller, which is a great example. I used Dan Miller, two guys who didn't add anything to their game, tried to fight the same way, and their skill limitations cost them, in addition to now being slower and sluggish.
2: Yep.
1: Yeah. And all that is to say again, Michael Johnson had a good round, and then he did what he always does. He slowed down a bit, he got taken down, and Darren Elkins submitted him in the second round. I mean, again, like, I think anyone with half a brain knew that Michael Johnson would probably take the first round. Because Darren Elkins gets hit a lot. He got hit so much that he thought his chest tattoo was a good idea. And, but that was all he was going to have. And that's what Elkins did. Elkins is on a significant winning streak and should probably be in a pretty big fight for his next one out.
2: Uh, Um, I like Korean versus Korean Zombie. If his uh,
1: I'd be okay. I'd be okay with that. If
2: uh, if his knee is uh if 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 uh Korean Zombie, if he's if he's not too much out too much longer with his knee injury, I think that's a, a good fight. It's a good t- you know, it's a good cuz we you know, you know, Korean Zombie, he's coming off a nice win. Um and I don't think we've seen Zombie had to fight kind of like a tough grimy kind of wrestler before. Who's really, who's you know, a really, you know, gritty guy, and we've seen Elkins, you know, he, he tends to come back in the clinch really well, like you know, in crunch time. Um, I think that's a good test for Zombie to see if Zombie can become like a, a higher level fighter, a higher level opponent.
1: I'd be okay with that fight, uh, Pat. Anything else you wanted to say about the specifics of this one? Nope. All right, as for the rest of this card, James Kraus nope. defeated Alex <laughs> James Krause defeated Alex White, the unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. White just really couldn't stop Krause from taking him down. Um, Marco Polo Reyes defeated Matt Frivola via knockout one minute of the first round. You really shouldn't get into a 50-50 brawl with Polo Reyes. That's going to end badly for you. He's very beatable, provided you don't engage him on his own terms. And Frivola engaged him on his own terms. Um, Irina Aldana defeated Toledo Bernardo by unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Um, good first two rounds from Aldana. She actually came out with, you know, a bit of her skill set on display this time. Uh, still a lot of work to do, I think, but... It was nice to see her actually show up after her first two fights. Uh, Kyung-ho Kong returned from his mandatory military service and defeated Guido Canetti via triangle choke in the first round. Uh, Kong is pretty darn good. Um, he got a really nice takedown into full mount, and then Canetti did the amateur try to bridge and escape at when the guy's really high in his mount and give up the triangle choke along the way. Uh, nice return from Kong after his time off uh, Jessica I Defeated Kalindra Faria Via split decision 29-28 Each way uh, I had this for Faria And The fight sucked uh, JJ Aldrich defeated Daniel Taylor Via unanimous decision 29-28 across the board Nothing of note here uh, JJ Aldrich is incredibly Sound but utterly Forgettable it's weird. It's a weird combination because she does a lot right, but nothing is memorable. And uh, Mads Brunel defeated Mike Santiago over a unanimous decision to kick everything off. they 29-28 across the boards. Not a whole lot of note there. Um, Brunel is just a superior grappler, and Santiago... yeah, he's just kind of there. He exists. Uh, Pat... Do you have anything from that group of prelims you wanted to talk about? No. Jeff, anything? Nope. Alrighty. That was Fight Night One Twenty Four. Thank you to everyone who followed along with my coverage. It's always appreciated. Why are you not? Never mind. All right. Last night, moving on to the pay per view from this past Saturday, UFC Two Twenty. Man, this was a weird card. This was a rough one at times. Like, there, there's a few punctuation marks that were interesting, but... All right, anyway, in your main event, Stipe Miocic uh, proceeded to laugh all the way to the bank. He defeats Francis Ngannou via Unanimous decision, 50-44 across the board. Um, before I get into the specifics of this one, to all the people... Questioning, is this the most lopsided decision in you know, UFC history? No, it is not. If we, if we expand this to include three-round fights, there are at least two that I believe are significantly more lopsided than this, both in terms of scoring and in terms of you know disparity of technique and damage. If we're talking about technique and damage, Rick Glenn and... I can't remember the other... Gavin Tucker... Uh, featured one honest-to-God 10-7 round after a 10-8 round. Much worse than this in terms of scoring. Also, if you want to hear some really hilarious scorecards, and if you wish to be entertained via comedy, look up the, I can only put heavy air quotes around the following word, fight between Caleb Starnes and Nate Quarry which I believe featured a 30-23 score. If you want to limit this to title fights that actually go the distance, because, again, certain of them have been significantly more lopsided in the they were stopped, I believe the second JDS versus Kane fight was, if not 50-44, I believe it had at least one of those and was... Again, uh, in that same vein, and slightly the one everyone forgets, uh, Benson Henderson and Nate Diaz featured at least one 50-43 scorecard. This is not the most lopsided decision by, a, by any reasonable definition thereof. I understand most of those fights most people either didn't see or forget about, but you at, and people out there put out the question, there's my response to it. Uh, as for the fight itself, you know, we got, uh, those of us who participated in the round table got a bit of flack for picking Stipe. This is why we picked Stepe, guys. Um, Nganu I liked the first round of this fight, first of all. Um, Nganu was able to land a couple of decent shots. He landed a right that caused some pretty serious swelling around Stipe's left eye. But Stipe was able to be intelligent about what he was doing, move well, landed a few good shots of his own, and got a pretty significant takedown kind of towards the end of the round. After that first round, Stipe's kind of strategy kept making itself known. He was able to fight smart, avoid the kind of looping punches that Nganu was throwing, and either get him down and just kind of wear on him. In fact, there's a prolonged sequence in the second round when he's in a, I believe, a spiral ride. Holding a three-quarter Nelson just so that he can put all of his weight on the back of Ngannou's neck. This just means that if Ngannou wants to get up, he's now doing it being physically opposed at a negative point by a man who weighs 240 pounds. Uh, Stipe just... Fought a very intelligent fight. Landed some really hard punches of his own. Uh, And again, I believe the second might have been the third when he really kind of landed three or four solid rights over the course of that round. Uh, I was 50-43. I gave Stipe a 10-8 in the second and a 10-8 in the fourth. Um, I mean, Francis didn't land a single punch in the fourth round. Um, this This was history for Stipe. He is now the winningest... Single title reign in UFC heavyweight championship history with a whopping three because it's heavyweight. You want me to say? Um, I have some thoughts on this, but I want to let you guys talk about this first because I, I want to. I imagine part of my perspective might run contrary to what some of what you guys say, and I want to let you say it first. So, uh, Pat, I'll start with you. Um, partially because you picked Nganu to win when we previewed this card. I'm curious, how did this play out relative to your expectations given your prediction, and what were your thoughts on the fight uh, as it played out?
0: You know, Nganu came into this fight, and I, I mentioned that in each passing fight, he had looked in better physical condition. He didn't come into this fight looking in bad physical condition, but he came in looking bulkier in terms of his muscle and his muscularity. And if you want to know one of the factors as to why he tired so quickly, that's one of them. That has nothing to do with the fact that Stipe Miocic implemented a fantastically sound game plan, uh, just really, really smart. But also Ngannou threw really nothing but wide-winging punches. It takes a lot of energy to throw those punches and land them. It takes a lot of energy and more energy to throw those punches and miss them. In addition to getting hit back, in addition to having your weight compounded by somebody else's 250-pound frame, it takes a lot out of you. The problem is you need to go into these fights expecting that to happen. And then Ghana really didn't seem like he did. It didn't seem like his corner was prepared for it. And if there's something I could point to that this fight reminded me of, I would point to the Lennox Lewis, David Tua heavyweight title fight from 2000, where Tua was this massive knockout artist, just starching guys left and right with one shot but he kind of been into his own hype train a little bit. And instead of training for what he should be doing and training to fight the best fighter in the world in his division, he got complacent and thought, if I'm able to catch him, I'll hurt him and I'll knock him out. And he'd land a punch here or there, but in reality, he didn't hit hard enough to one shot him. It land clean enough to one shot him and he didn't have an answer. And when he started getting hit back, And when Lewis would tie him up and put his weight on him along the ropes or in the corners, Tua gassed out pretty hard over the first five rounds. Now, keeping relative to a UFC and boxing match comparison, that would be like Ngannou pretty much gassing after the second, which is what happened. And the fights played out really similar in that it wasn't anything spectacular. It wasn't anything flashy. It was really sound and really well executed by the best guy in a division against the challenger who didn't come in prepared.
1: All right, Jeff, your thoughts on this one? This is
2: almost exactly to the letter of what I predicted and said was going to happen. And I like Francis Ngannou. I mean, you know, I, I I picked him to beat over him. But look, Francis Ngannou had never fought a level of um, wrestler of Miocic, uh, uh, Miocic's capacity. He fought Curtis Blades, but I mean, look, uh, Miocic—he's Division One All-American, um, nationally ranked, uh, made it to the made it to the Division One Wrestling Championships. Curtis Blades, I think, was a junior collegiate wrestler. To me, it's just not—it's just not the same level of wrestling. And, Mio, and look, Miochich—I mean, he's a champion, okay. Nganu had never fought someone as good as Miochich, or, or with that uh, high level of skills. We'd never seen Nganu get out of the second, go past the second round, okay? So we've never really seen his gas tank or his cardio, his cardio get uh, tested. Okay, Miocic, we've seen him go hard for more than three rounds. We've seen him go into championship rounds multiple times without getting seriously tired or winded. Um, and, and I think, Inga- look, Nganu, he can, he can knock you out with one punch. But I've got to be honest. I think that if you were to compare the boxing of these two fighters, I would say Miocic is the better, more technical boxer. He's, I think Miocic is a better striker than Ngannou, and and when you look at the knockouts, I, I I look. You can go and listen to the conference call with these two men. I'm on that conference call, and I'm like, Stepe. Everyone's talking about Ngannou's resume, but like everyone's forgetting, you knocked out like your last four opponents in the first round too, and three of them were UFC champions, and. I, I forget exactly what Stipe said, but basically his response was something like, oh, those guys, they just ran into my right hand, or some, I don't know, some really just stupid, modest answer. But everyone was underselling Stipe. Everyone was underestimating Stipe. Um, this is why you can't trust betting sites. This is why betting sites are garbage, and you shouldn't listen. Um, I, I mean, look, the sports books don't tell you the whole story. Um, and I don't know, I could be wrong here, but what I saw in the first round, and Ganu looked like he was loading up power shots, he was just loading up from, from downtown, and he was missing quite a bit. Miocic, and this to me I think speaks of Miocic's boxing. Yeah, he did, he did get hit really hard, and his eye almost got closed up. But I also saw Miocic ducking and and, and actually moving his head and actually – flipping a lot of Nganu's offense. And that did its job to make Nganu tired. And I think he was gassed after the first round. He was already looking winded and tired to me. Uh, Mio- and we know, Mio- we can trust that Miocic, he can go He can go at a pretty good pace for five rounds. And in- I mean, everyone was talking about how much bigger Ngannou was. That didn't really help him at all. Now, his UFC broadcast team. I don't know if you can make anything out of this, but Jimmy Smith, who does have, he does have uh, some fighting experience. He went hard on Ngannou's cornerman for covering him in towels in between rounds and giving him bad corner advice and also making his body overheat. Um, look, I'm not a, a cornerman or anything. I'm not a trainer, but is there anything that can be said for Ngannou's cornerman wrapping him up in towels in between rounds and what that does to the body um i don't i don't know but um they weren't icing him down they were they were just wrapping him up in towels and according to jimmy smith that just makes the body overheat even more uh and overheat the muscles
0: it, it does it, it does you will
2: but why would rarely... wrap him up in towels why were they doing that
0: because it's they so don't know what they're idea. doing <laughs> they they really were not prepared for something the only thing I can think of is where the you know it's one thing if the towels were you know completely saturated with ice water, but even then what you're doing still is covering pores pressing right onto skin and still making the body heat because the body's in a heated up state anyway so really the only time you should ever do that and it's a weird thing to say is if you'll see a fight happening in an outdoor venue and the temperature drops well below the expected uh uh you know, projection and you need to keep your fighter warm between rounds to prevent them from getting cool. Um, this happened in 1989 when Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Durant fought their rubber match in Nevada and Reno in December and the temperature dropped to about 30 degrees outside. So you had this you know, very funny image of Sugar Ray Leonard's handlers wrapping him in what was basically a saddle blanket between rounds to keep him warm. Um, but that's really the only time you'll see something like that done. This was just asinine.
2: Another day, another hype train derailed. The Francis Ngannou hype train went careening over a cliff like the train in Back to the Future Part 3. He might be worse. Francis Ngannou might be worse than Chek Kongo. He might be worse than Brett Rodgers.
0: I am going already better, better like- than Chek Kongo. I'm going he, to address that. He's already better than criticism. those guys.
2: Where where was the take? Where was the takedown defense? Where was the grappling defense? He actually um, did a where, much where, better uh,
1: job stopping Ngannou's takedowns than Mark Hunt did. Or, excuse me, stopping Gio's the and then and
2: yeah, and then he got subsequently taken down over the course of the next uh, four rounds. I, I mean, I mean, to me, Congo had better cardio than this.
0: Yeah. Uh, he might have he, he maybe he maybe had better cardio but at the same time he doesn't have a single victory on his ledger that stands up to the stuff Enganao's already done. And I'm not saying Nganu is, is great or not hyped. He he, he, he the problem here is Nganu brought into his own hype going into yeah. this and I think his corner did too. And, and that's why I brought up the comparison to David Tua. It's the biggest thing I remember being similar to this in terms of a big heavyweight knockout power. He's going to knock this guy out as soon as he hits him. And when that didn't happen, there was no plan B. And this is what happened. Uh, you get schooled over the duration of the rest Media, of the fight.
2: People underestimated Boxer than Nganu. He's better, more technical everywhere uh, than Nganu. Better wrestler. Uh, Stipe Miocic is the best UFC heavyweight of all time. He's well on his way to becoming the best MMA heavyweight in history. Yeah. Maybe two fights away.
0: I, mean, I think the most interesting... If he beats yeah, Kane, yeah,
2: that's... If I'm,
1: uh, my opinion, if he beats Kane, that'll be it. He will be the best. He will but have an
2: untouchable if he wrestling. Kane, even if he beats Kane, there will be like, oh, he's sliding Kane on the decline. Kane, you know, Kane passed his prime and all that. But... You know, it'll There's always going
1: to be arguments, but again, like, my opinion, if he's a, if he fights and beats Kane Velasquez, and that's a hell of a fight. I hope it happens. I think that will give him he will have
2: beaten to me, every better. top heavyweight of his champion. era. He's a better champion than Kane, not only cuz he defended the belt 3 times, but he was more active than Kane was in both of his title runs.
0: I I think the most interesting thing about this is the the postscript where we're going to see what does this do to Nganu coming out of this now? Is this one of those defeats where he gets completely humbled and mentally just checks out? Or is this a defeat where he looks at it and says, I didn't do anything to be ready for this fight the way I needed to be. I need to get better here, here, and here, and I start doing that now. Which Nganu are we going to get? Because in the case of David Tua, he never rebounded from that loss to Lennox Lewis And that was a significant loss to the heavyweight division because this guy was talked about on the same level as Mike Tyson. And Guy was very much being talked about as the next great heavyweight destroyer. And now he suffered a very humbling one-sided defeat because he wasn't ready to deal with what was coming at him and he wasn't prepared.
2: That's why we need, I believe Pat, we need to see a fighter lose sometimes because it's only in defeat We'll see what a fighter is truly made of. Look at, look at Luke oh, Rockhold. I completely agree. Look at what happened to Luke Rockhold after he, 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 he got his head kicked off by a spinning back kick by Vitor. And look at the run he had. Look at um, George St. Pierre, the greatest welterweight fighter of all time, he, and, and losing his first title fight to Matt Hughes. This is well, where... I would say look at, look at Stipe Miocic. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. look at no, what he's done... done. Stefan Struve. He got knocked out. Knocked by out Step by Stephen Um, um so Yeah, you're totally correct. We'll find out. We'll find out if this will make or break Francis Ngannou, because Ngannou's still going to get attention when he comes back, um, and we'll see what he's really made of. It, it, the, you know, this can, a loss like this can truly really make or break a fighter. It can. It can make them. It could break them and drag them down, or or it can make them learn and make them even better. Like like those champions. If he's a true champion, like the like the GSP, like a Luke Rockhold, or a B, or even BJ Penn, um, this won't set him back, and he'll become an even better fighter, or or he won't. But what I saw last night, you know, his sound at all. Check, not sound when you're that big and when you have the power to to end anyone's night with one shot I mean you don't always clean the best technique but like it was not there at all last night and Stipe I thought was utterly brilliant
1: yeah there's a couple of things I wanted to touch on here one
2: Stipe is severely underappreciated
1: um because he is not a spectacular. When I say spectacular, I don't mean that word gets so misused. It's the right word for what I want to say, but it's going to come across as being something more demeaning. Because he is an absolutely spectacular fighter in the sense that you know he's the best. The guy can fight like the demon, you know, like the devils after him. He will fight when he says you could match him against up match him up against King Kong, and he'd try to smash him. That's the truth. He is not, however, when I say spectacular, I mean in the truly like highlight reel singular moment that emblazons itself in your memory. And for some reason, because he doesn't have that, a lot of people are, again, overlooking him or are not truly appreciating how great he is. He is a testament to why you do things fundamentally sound, because that's what he's got. He has the fundamentals of the majority of skill sets, and he adapts them to fit whoever he's fighting. Um, If you want a very detailed look at this, uh, Jack Slack wrote a piece on Stipe that highlighted a few of his performances specifically to talk about, how each of his the elements of his game was on display and how he was able to adjust them to fit whoever he happened to be fighting at the time. Uh, it goes into you know great detail because Jack Slack is awesome like that. Um, as far as Francis goes, there's a lot of, I believe, uh, unnecessary backlash over this. He's, again, there's some adjustments that have to be made, but I mean, you know, Jeff compared him to uh, Chuck Congo. He's not the only one to make that comparison. There's people out there calling I stand him by the heavy my
2: comparison.
1: There's people out there comparing <laughs> him to Silk Jew.
0: I was gonna say he throws less low blows than Chuck Congo does.
1: And Chuck Congo was also a case of hype not at all matching his skill, in the sense that Chuck Congo doesn't win fights striking. Shut up about his kickboxing. Chek Kongo is only able to beat you That's not if he true. takes he, you down. He
0: wins, fights. he wins fights striking you in the testicles. Okay, fair. But
1: <laughs> the majority of his wins come through takedowns, top control, and ground and pound, or him clinching you on the fence. That's, and he's gone through a decision in his last, like, six fights. He's not fighting anyone of note, like, it's not an it is, accurate... however, an alternate
0: for the Bellator Grand Prix.
1: Uh, we can finally get Czech Congo versus Chael Sonnen.
0: Hallelujah. The fight we've all been asking for.
1: I hate Bellator so much. It's almost a physical thing for me at this point. But, I mean, again, consider the following. Bear in mind. Francis Ngannou just had the most success that anyone has had fighting Stipe in the last, I believe, three years.
2: Okay, he how did successful was that fight, though?
1: He did better did than Marc Hunt. he did better than Fabrizio Verdum, he did better than I, Alistair Overeem, he, really he did better than did Junior he, Dos he Santos.
2: Really, I don't think he... I mean, considering how he was dominated... And what was the ground strike comparison like? It, it was like
0: He's, listen. Re- this is like being the albino with the best tan.
2: Uh, Robert, uh, this, hang on, let, been, let this fight let could me have been to 50 my 40. This should have been a 50-40 fight. No. This should have been a 44? we're not letting him come
0: out for the This should have been a we're not yeah. letting him come out for the last round fight. Yeah,
2: this could have That's been fair. a 50 44 is way too generous as far as I'm concerned. Again, I was fifty forty three.
1: Like, but my point is, he j- again he was. I would say he has had the most success fighting Stipe of anyone who has fought Stipe over the last three years, and and he's only been fighting for five years. Like, there's an adjustment that needs to happen, and there's a serious question that needs to be asked about whether or not he'll make it going forward. That's true, but. I think there's a lot of people who were just so shocked that he didn't take Stipe's head off in the first 30 seconds that there's been an overcorrection too far in the other uh, to the other side of things. Uh, I hope Stipe fights... I really want Stipe to fight Kane. I mean, that's the last great heavyweight of this era that Stipe hasn't fought. And I love the way those two match up, so...
2: I would I would say if you want Stipe to fight again, like in a, in a few months, I would say go ahead book the rematch with Verdun. Because we we have no idea when Kane, you know, when Kane's yes, Kane. going to be healthy to fight again. Yeah, and if he and if he'll even make it to the fight, you know, I want to see yeah, that I, fight too. I want to see it really bad. But I mean, I mean, I mean, the reason Dana White's talking about. Um, Daniel Cormier versus Steve Hayes because he clearly has no faith in the health of Cain Velasquez.
0: Uh, well, and 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 the greater point that what's left for either guy in either division.
1: Speaking of Daniel Cormier and Show the dumpster fire, you know that was as stupid as that joke is. It's not that far off from becoming reality and I, I
0: Uh don't I, ha- no.
1: I have things to say about the division that I will say after the talking about the fight. Daniel Cormier defeats Vulcan Uzdemir via this is via no what T K O in the second round. Yeah. Um
2: <sighs> I thought it was a good fight, all things considered, other and, than that Uzdemir was clearly overmatched and didn't belong in there. But, you know. This was like a
0: really entertaining squash match where one guy got to get in all his spots.
2: This is,
1: yeah, yeah, that's probably the most accurate thing. Uzdemir comes out early and is swinging and lands a few punches, but he never, (laughs) credit to a couple of things here. One, Daniel Cormier never let this really settle into a clinch fight initially because Uzdemir does a lot of damage from that position with his uppercuts, and he didn't want that. Cormier also his striking defense is a lot of extending his arms straight out. With his fingers kind of pointed at you, but that's neither here nor there. And kind of using them as, you know, these deflecting poles. And it worked okay against Uzdemir. I mean I I I I I shudder to think what would happen to him if he tries that against Gustafson, but it was Uzdemir, not Gustafson, so it kind of worked. Once this fight hit the mat, it was oh god, it was so not close. It was so not close. Um, again, like, okay. Do you guys have anything specifically, technically, you want to say here? Because if not, I have like I have to yell at this division again. I, I, I need to cathartically
0: for my soul. Mm. Jeff, do you, do you have anything before I go or?
2: Uzdemir uh, did not belong in this fight. I mean...
1: <laughs> Sad thing is, like, he kind of did. Like, there, he was I, not on, in any he way got two, on Daniel Cormier's level. He got two level.
2: decent knockout wins. He got two decent knockout wins, but he, ba- he just barely beat Ovin St. Prune in one of the worst fights of all time. Um... I uh, you know, give Cormier some time off and then book the rematch with Gustafsson. Go from there. All
0: right, Pat. You know, I mean, it, we always talk about how Daniel Cormier's wrestling is on another level than really everybody in the division, with the exception of Sean Jones. Because, again, MMA wrestling is different than Olympic wrestling. But that being said, this was the wrestler Daniel Cormier that we talked about, the ease with which he was able to get takedowns and control and work was really staggering. Um, and, and because of what we saw in his last fight, where he was really getting into more of a kickboxing match with John Jones, which he again was knocked out in, um, it, it tends to kind of slip people's memories that Daniel Cormier is very, very good when not fighting John Jones. And this was a reminder of that. Um, and, And this is what happens when a guy maybe fights a fight in an aspect he's not as good as he thinks he is in, like Cormier with his kickboxing. And he gets back to his roots and does what he did well and got him into a position, which is his wrestling. He hit a low single at one point. That was one of the better low single leg takedowns I've ever seen in an MMA fight.
1: Oh, and his single leg to the inside trip is a thing yeah. of beauty. I mean, that, that's a legitimate thing of beauty that more people should be... Like, you want to know how to do that right in the context of either, collegiate re- of either amateur wrestling or MMA. Daniel Cormier does that better than anybody. All right. My thoughts on... I have to say this about this division. This division is a dumpster fire. And... This fight was endemic of that. Here's a guy, I mean, Uzdemir, on a skill level, had no business being in there with Daniel Cormier. He had nothing for him, at all, at any point in time. He landed a couple of half-decent punches, but Daniel Cormier has withstood punches from significantly stronger punchers. And yet, despite this being a complete blowout and one guy who was not in a skill level even remotely commensurate with the other, Uzdemir was the best contender available to fight on anything approaching a reasonable time frame. And this this is is why...
2: This this is 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 a division of
1: two people.
2: This is why letting Phil Davis and Ryan Bader goes, no matter what you say oh, about them, it was a mistake.
1: No, no, I agree. It was a mistake.
2: It was a mistake because, look, Bader was legit. Was he? Where is fights always pretty? No. Was he? I mean, was he great? No. But like, at least he was consistent, and he was a, he was a, he was more than a, He was an above average fighter. He could have been like one of your gatekeeper contenders. So could have Phil Davis. Um and they would have been a lot more legitimate competition for Cormier, you know, while John Jones is off being a basket case and a screw-up more so than Volkan Uzdemir. That's all I'm saying. The UFC should never have let Bellator get Ryan Bader and Phil Davis. Two of the two of the biggest mistakes they could have ever for the light, for the health of the light heavyweight division, it was erroneous. It, w- it was horrible, horrendous.
1: Yeah, I mean the only the only release that troubled me more than Davis, excuse me, not Davis, Bader. I mean, I wasn't happy when Davis left, but uh, the only one that troubled me more than uh, Bader when Bader was released was when they let Kyoji Horiguchi go for different reasons, but. I can talk about that at length if called upon at a different time. This is a division of two people. If John Jones is not in the picture, and for the moment he isn't, you got two. You got Daniel Cormier, and you got Alexander Gustafson.
2: And Shogun. No. Yes.
1: You have, like, the ghost of Shogun's knees.
0: I think it's the perfect time for a Chuck Liddell comeback. You joke, but...
1: I mean, and, 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 this is what kills me about this. Vulcan was the right guy. He had knocked out the two guys shot. ranked above him. He had done so you know, quickly. He had knocked people out. He was ranked number three. And even if, you know, the, even if you don't care much about the rankings, if you were going to have Cormier fight on this card, he was the best fighter available with Gustafson out for surgery. And still, the gap was so huge that this was an utterly uncompetitive fight.
2: I mean, but that's just matchups too. We've seen that in plenty of matchups in, in title situations. And yeah, look, I just, Ronda Rousey for one most second. Misha Tate. Rousey smoked Misha Tate twice and then Misha Tate ends up, you know, beating Holly Holm for the UFC title. That's that that's just how matches stack up sometimes. But this yes, this is a gutted division. It's still not beyond saving to me, but um this but it's part of why you shouldn't have let Bader and Davis go because at least you would have had guy, you know, Guys who are legit for Cormier to fight.
1: Yeah, I want to say I have yelled on occasion at a certain subset of comic book fans or movie fans who complained ad nauseum that there was a body count and some destruction in Man of Steel. Whatever, because they not going to go into a movie review, but there were a lot of people who bitched about that. And guess what you got out of it? You got The Avengers saving literally the town dog. You got a Justice League movie where boy we're going out of our way to make sure that the totality of this climactic god awful looking red soaked fight scene takes place in the middle of nowhere Siberia because we're so deathly afraid of the of the backlash from this subset of fans. All the people who whined and complained about Ryan Bader and Phil Davis and their fights sucking, and I don't want them in the UFC. No, their fights weren't great. I said that many times about both of them. I never said they shouldn't be in the UFC, because this is what you get. Like, you all wrought this. You wrought a division that is... Second only to one that was introduced a few months ago, in terms of just how bad it is. <clears throat> I hope you're happy with yourselves because oh, I don't have to watch Ryan Bader. Sure, you get Vulcan, Uzdemir, and Daniel Cormier. Hope you're okay. happy.
2: All right. Well, look.
1: Any, anyway, that that bad moving on. That's my is, thing. This
2: fight was not. This fight was far from like worst fight of the year.
0: No, this was like watching Mister Perfect versus a capable jobber like Jim Powers on Saturday Morning Superstars.
2: Yeah, it was like yeah, and um, it was not like it was not like watching a nightgown match between Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson.
0: I hate <laughs> oh, you both, of course, so much. Nightgown match. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um,
1: but
2: that's Jesus. what we have.
1: There's. There's talk about Cormier moving up to heavyweight to fight Stipe. Sure. I mean, who cares? Like, the only challenge for Stipe left is either a rematch with Verdum or Cain Velasquez, and I'm not sold on either guy being ready in a reasonable time.
2: At at, at his press conference, Cormier didn't seem keen on that idea. Yeah, nor should he. I mean, but look, he's the one who's putting out on social media – how much his weight cut sucks and how horrible it was.
1: And, I mean, this is
2: a guy who needed to make weight. Let's be fair. I like, mean, yeah. Is, so I, he, I mean, look.
1: He's, this weight cut sucks for him. He hates early morning weigh-ins too.
2: <laughs> now we have to – look, so now we have to deal with every, every like, fight. is sort of like it's a fight with him just, you know, is he going to have any issues on the scale? And he's And he's emphasizing that as well. And, you know, the UFC is potentially giving him an out here. So he won't, you know, he'll have a time where that won't even be an issue. But, um, yeah. I mean, look, he he wanted to be a light heavyweight and stay away from Kane. He was one of the top light heavyweights in the world. He won the strike force Heavyweight Grand Prix. He fought in the UFC at heavyweight. He could have been a title contender. The UFC wanted him to fight for the title. He wanted to fight... John Jones instead and clear the way For Kane you know that's what he Did but you know If he if he really hates the weight cut That much the fight's there for him
1: Yeah Uh, as for light Heavyweight again the only Fight I care about in the totality Of that division is Him and Gustafson outside of that We look we can't Overlook
2: Hormier for a fight against Stipe either I think
1: No I that'd be a great fight. I don't think it would go well for Cormier, but it'd be a great fight. Uh, all right, next up. This was, I believe the fight of the night. Um, I really liked this one. Uh, Calvin Katar defeated Shane Burgos via TKO in the third round. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Katar showed off, showed off a really nice jab. Uh, That it was fast, it was technically correct, he generally got it back into defensive position at the right, uh, you know, quickly not every time, but nobody's perfect Uh, there were some good leg kicks, he did a really good job in the first, of just kind of picking at Shane Burgos as Burgos was coming in Burgos adjusted in the second to go to the body more, to throw more leg kicks of his own, and the pressure just kind of started getting to cater a little bit and coming into the third Cater hit this really nice kind of stutter step backwards right hand that wobbled Burgos he took another step back as Burgos was you know, his reaction to get, to getting hit was to come forward and try to get it back rather than back off <clears throat> excuse me and Cater then timed this really nice uppercut that got him backing up and wobbled another uppercut as he was going down This was a really fun fight between these two guys. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it technically. I enjoyed it for the action. I I believe this was the best fight on the card by a significant margin. Um, Really good stuff from both guys. Uh, If you have to only watch one fight from this card and you're going to take my recommendation, look up this one. Uh, This was a good one.
2: It was not as good Uh, as Jean Valente versus Frantz Amarbojo.
1: Get out. I will mute you. I
0: was hoping we couldn't even reference that fight on this card.
1: (laughs) It was going to come up eventually one way or the other, but I have nothing to say about that fight. Uh, Anyway, so this one, again, I thought it was great. Uh, Jeff, what were your thoughts on the fight?
2: I thought the finish looked good. Uh, Shane Burgos just seemed to constantly be fighting with his chin here. Um. I don't know if I'm misinterpreting that, but it just looked like he was he was just fighting with his chin wide open, just looking to egg Qatar on to hit him I don't, for some reason. Uh, well, I mean, the finish is why you don't want to do that.
0: Yeah, he was trying you to this? get Qatar to engage in a flat footed, face first brawl with him because after that first round, it was pretty clear that technically. He had nothing to offer Qatar, especially when fighting at distance. Um, The jab was controlling the distance. The jab was breaking ground. The leg kicks added an extra element of that. Um, And then from there, we got, you know, he did apply pressure. And Qatar, at times kind of was unsure how to deal with it uh, and maybe wanted to take the measure a little bit of it. And what we got from there was the third round in that beautiful knockout. The half faint, bait him in, hit him with the right hand while his chin's open, take another one to finish him off. That was a well-set-up sequence, largely because he spent the second round initially unsure of how to deal with the pressure and then kind of made up his mind about what he was going to do with it. All right. Um,
1: I'm going to give you the results for this next fight, and that's really Yeah, it. Rory
0: McDonald was really good against Douglas Lima. That was a good fight. Um,
1: I so wanted to watch that instead of this one. Like It occurred Gail to me like oh, these are happening at the same time. Gelson had be beat a pregnant McDonald's.
2: Rampage and won the first round of the Heavyweight Grand Prix in the greatest MMA clinic in history.
1: It, it really, to anyone who's listened to this fight, to listen to this show a lot, the fact that I am happy to reference Bellator, which makes me sad on every conceivable level, rather than talk about John Volante defeating Francis Marbello's via split decision, and should one of tell the you greatest, everything about how awful that fight was. And one of the
2: greatest MMA tours to force of all time. John Volante is a national treasure, and we're lucky to have him.
1: John Vellante is going to take so much brain damage he will kill himself before he is 60. Um, I scored this fight, I believe, when I was doing it for Betos because I was so bored out of my skull I had to amuse myself. This fight was awful. Uh, I have nothing to say. The fact that John Vellante is ranked and the fact that I can't think of a guy to rank above him is another indictment on that entire... Wasteland of a division.
2: I was more uh, offended by Karen Bryan and the FS one analyst team actually talking up this fight and complimenting the fight. Like I know you're the analyst and you and you know you're you know you're trying to give a but a bit of gloss on a fight card but come on. Come on, Karen, you're better than that.
1: She's not. She's really not. Um but a division. Don't see me, that she serves her purpose, but like there's a reason she only does this for the UFC and not for anything else. Uh, Rob font. This was and again, a division that doesn't suck in bantamweight action. Rob font defeated Thomas Almeida via TKO in the second round. Uh, this was really, this was a really pretty solid fight. Um, This needs to be said about Thomas Almeida. He has taken a significantly disproportionate amount of damage for how young he is. I mean, he's only 20... What? He's 26. Good grief. He's only 26. He has 25, 24 fights. And he has... taken a lot of damage over the course of that career, and I think that might be starting to catch up with him. Add in that he has not really addressed the defensive issues that he has. His hand position for defense is really predicated around you throwing a punch at his arms and not him putting his arms into the appropriate position. His head movement is mechanical. He will try to slip, but he will slip and then reset back in the center. It's easy to read. And when he starts moving his head, his arms go out of proper position. His response to taking damage is to throw back from flat feet. He's He is a buzzsaw when he gets going, but he's a slow starter. And he's and people have kind of figured him out at this point. And Rob Font really cracked him with a right in the second round, had him on, had him in all kinds of trouble. I thought he let him off the hook. Uh, cause he he had him hurt for a while, and then they got, it, then he took him down instead of trying to hurt him against the fence. And then they got back up. There was a lot of clinch time, and it's like you, I thought he was letting that slip through his fingers, but. Almeida never really recovered from that punch and then Font caught him again, got him to swing wild, kicked him in the head and that was all she wrote. I I feel like Almeida's game has been figured out. Um and it wasn't, I mean Cody Garbrandt may have taken a piece of his soul, but he also put for, he put out there for everyone to see all the deficiencies in Almeida's game. I mean, Brad Pickett did a pretty good job of showing people who really think about and people smarter than I am when it comes to analyzing fighters that now there's these issues here because Brad Pickett caught him frequently hurt him before he got hit with that flying knee. And then now you've got guys like and Cody Garbrandt's you know, one of the two, be- two or three best bantamweights in the world. So, you know, you get knocked out by that guy. It's not – the biggest knock on you, but he follows that up with a lackluster win over Albert Morales, then he gets beat by Jimmy Rivera, and Jimmy Rivera's exceptional, too. But now you got guys like Rob Font who have really picked up on your game, and if he doesn't change that, he's not going to have a very good time of it going forward. But this was a really, really standout performance from Rob Font, who Fought well offensively, fought well defensively, mixed up his strikes, got a pretty good read on his guy, and then smashed him in the face. Can't ask for a whole lot more than that, especially when you're fighting in front of your hometown. Uh, Pat, I'll start with you for this one. Uh, Font, taking Almeida's head off and permanently derailing the hype train. Uh, What do you got?
0: Um, You know, Almeida has just never gotten past those tendencies that have gotten him beat before. I remember the first time I saw him, you had told me there's a good fight on between two prospects that look on the upswing. One is Thomas Almeida. The other is Cody Garbrandt. And watching that fight, really only Garbrandt got to show what he was capable of. And you said, you know, Almeida ran into a really good prospect to keep an eye on him. And I did. And offensively, he's very gifted. But he has not learned how to compensate for very poor defensive tendencies, a lack of head movement, keeping himself pinned on the center line and admiring his work after he strikes. And these are the things that Rob Font, who Rob Font is not, you know, a top three guy in that division, but you don't have to be. If you've fought before, you see these things develop, and you know how to take advantage of them. Font did and put forth one of his best efforts and a significant win for his career.
1: Uh, Jeff, your thoughts on this one?
2: Uh, I thought it was I thought it was a good fight. It was a good bantamweight fight. To me, this is a very underrated division, and I think Rob Font's a pretty underrated talent. Uh, he may not be a world beater going forward, but I mean, uh, I, I like this fight, and I think it was a great fight to show what he's capable of.
0: This is the best division in the UFC and all of MMA.
1: All right. As for the prelims. Kyle Botniak defeated Brandon Davis via unanimous decision. This was kind of a decent example of how to fight while moving backwards as opposed to running away, if you ever are curious about the difference. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan defeated Saba Hamasi via knockout in the first round. Threw the overhand right three times in a row. Got a read on how Hamasi was defending, because he was defending the same way each time. Showed the same... Initial shoulder movement, Hamasi bought on another overhand and leaned into an uppercut. That uh, was all she wrote. Dustin Ortiz defeated Alexandre Pantoja, the unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. A lot of fun in this fight, but uh, close fight. Pantoja really slowed after the first, and that kind of cost him. In addition to not really doing anything with uh, the time he had on Ortiz's back in the third Julio Arce defeated Dan Ige, the unanimous decision, 30-27 twice, 29-28. A really good example of proper footwork, proper movement, shutting down a wrestler, and that wrestler having no answer for a technically superior striker. Enrique Barzola defeated Matt Bissett the unanimous decision. This fight kind of sucked. And Islam Makachev knocked out Gleison Tebow in 50 seconds to kick everything off. Good stuff from Makachev. He's uh, Makachev's somebody to pay attention to in the lightweight division. There's a lot good about his game. All right, Jeff, uh, I'll give you first crack here. Anything you want to touch on?
2: uh, uh Al knockout of Hamasi was, you know, pretty cool. Makachev, I agree. He's he's a, a prospect to keep an eye on. Um, If this makes any sense at all, I didn't really like the uh, Ortiz-Pintoja fight, but I I like that Ortiz won because, I mean, first of all, I like Ortiz, but second of all, I think just, to me, it's one of those fights where, like, the guy on top isn't necessarily winning, despite maybe, you know, being on top most of the fight. So I think it was just in this fight to give the, the score to Ortiz, if that makes any sense. It does.
1: Anything you wanted to say about the prelims?
2: Um, the the knockout of T-Bow,
0: it's impressive on one hand. Like, yes, Gleason T-Bow has clearly seen his best days come and go by about four to five years, but you don't really often see him lose like that. So I definitely want to keep an eye out on a kid that can do that.
1: All right. That was UFC 220. Sincere thanks to everyone who came and followed along with my coverage or has commented after the fact, uh, I know how many places you can go, and quite frankly, there's a couple of them I'm surprised you don't <laughs> frequent instead of mine, but I'm happy to take the, all the patronage I can get. Um, You know what? I think we're only going to really talk about the main event for this next card, because uh, yeesh. <laughs> yeah, I... I I'm just going to, we're just going to do the main event and then burning desires for the rest of it if you have any.
2: Fair um, enough.
1: Main, ev- main event next, oh God, they're in Charlotte. I don't have anything Charlotte, against Charlotte, North Carolina. Sh- I don't have anything against Charlotte in theory. I do. But for the- yeah, but you're also a Hulk Hogan guy, so that's understandable. For the
2: last seven
1: to eight months there's been this really obnoxiously growing trend of fans at UFC events
0: doing the Ric Flair woo. And there you have what I have against Charlotte.
1: I I can't tell you how much I, I hate that as a viewer of this product. I would rather you just booed. Like, seriously, just boo. You can boo. Do you think the fight sucks? Boo. That that woo. If you're at a pro wrestling match or you know at a Ric Flair meet and greet, sure, like but context, people first time somebody lands a knife edge chop in a cage fight, you can woo. Until that time, it is obnoxious and off putting to everyone around you. And the, you know, thousands and thousands of people watching this thing. And I can only imagine how bad it's going to get. But the main event is a rematch between Ronaldo Jacare Souza and Derek Brunson. These two fought in strike force actually, back in... Way back. How many, how many years ago was this? <laughs> do, 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 Derek Brunson. 2012. And uh, Jockery Whoa. knocked him out in forty seconds. It should have been faster. Yeah,
0: than wasn't that. this Brunson's first like high profile fight? Um,
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Sorry, just right before right before the the loss to Sosa, he fought Kendall Grove and lost a split decision outside of force. <laughs> I'm just yeah. laughing at that. No, I'm just laughing at you lost to Kendall Grove. Like, (laughs) really? Uh, Anyway, yeah, and this is Jacare's first fight since uh, closer to a year than he'd probably like when he was defeated by Robert Whitaker, Who's recovering from a really nasty staph infection, which apparently like started eating some of his internal organs because it wasn't treated properly. Um, seriously, guys, if you got staff, get that fixed as soon as possible. It's that's, that stuff can kill you. No joke. I mean, yeah, but so anyway, I, you know, speedy recovery to one Bobby Q. Knuckles, because I love watching that guy fight. Uh, Brunson is on a two-fight winning streak. He knocked out Dan Kelly and Leoto Machida. <sighs> How old is Jacare? Jeez, he's 38. This is a tough one. <clears throat> um, I mean, Brunson is not at all the same fighter he was the first time they fought. He still has exploitable tendencies, Yeah, especially with his striking, he leans. Oh God, Brunson's leaning when he punches, and he's got his chin hanging right out in the open. It's uh, it's painful, but he hits really, really hard. He's really athletic. He's got good takedown defense, but Jacare's takedowns aren't the traditional double. I'm pro- I'm going with Jacare. This I'm probably going to be wrong about this one. Because Jockeray's thirty-eight, and his and that catches up to you, and when it does, it does so in a hurry. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, Brunson's jujitsu game is still just—I don't know.
0: Yeah, the jiu-jitsu game.
1: <sighs> that was kind of the reason for my pause. I, I'm going with Jacare. I'm not. Comp- I'm not super confident in that, but. Uh, there it is, uh, Pat. Yeah, you spoke up. Let's start with you. There, you've kind of you have a really good feel for Jokare and when he's going to win and when he's going to choke. What do you think about this one?
0: This one's a more difficult one on the surface, at least to pick, because each guy is so flawed in one specific area that it could easily go either way. Um, the reason I'm leaning towards Bronson. Is you have to look at the likelihood of scenarios of what will play out when. I don't think anybody is going to bring up their 2012 fight as something that's relevant to this. Brunson has ob- obviously had a world of experience since then, and is a different fighter. Jacare is a different fighter since then. Um, you know, Jacare, when you put him into a prime situation like this, he tends to not check in mentally, and gets beaten. Um, I said it would happen with Robert Whittaker, and it did. I said it would happen with Romero, and it did. When you kind of put him in the background of a fight that's winnable, he tends to do better. And I don't know if that's just he can't deal with pressure and the spotlight. And certain times it just so happens he fights a special fighter like a Romero or a Whittaker, and it all comes together at that point. In this fight, I'm favoring Bronson because I think the likelihood is we're much more likely to see Brunson hit him and open up early and put Jacare on the back foot, put the pressure on him, and break him mentally like we've seen happen to Jacare recently. I also don't think that Jacare is going to be able to catch catch Brunson with one of his trip takedowns or with, say, a lucky strike at this point that will finish him or hurt him enough to allow Jacare to clinch him, control him, take him down and submit him. Because I think the speed differential is so much more pronounced right now than it's been. I think Brunson for all the faults in his game, I think offensively when he builds that momentum, a guy like Jacare doesn't respond well to it. Whereas a good counter puncher like Robert Whitaker is salivating at the thought of that happening. Jacare has one good strike in his arsenal. It's a counter-right hook, but he doesn't uncourt it anywhere near as frequently as he used to three, four years ago, and he doesn't fight confidently with it anymore. And I don't think he's going to catch Brunson with it, hurt him, and submit him or knock him out. I think he's going to get hit early and often, falter, and get stopped sometime late in the first round.
1: All right, Jeff, your thoughts?
2: I'm picking Jacare. Um Look, Jacare is 38 years old. You know, he's had his battles. He's had his wars. But I'm not betting on that being the uh, sole reason why Brunson is going to hit, you know, you know, find home with the strikes and hit him. He's still fighting one of the most exceptional grapplers uh, and submission artists in the history of the sport. And I think – I think Jacare is more well-rounded than a fighter than um, Damien Maya, and I think he has much a much better transitional game, and I think that's going to serve Jacare uh, well here. Um, I, I like the fight a lot, though, and ultimately I have a dream, gentlemen. I've had a dream for the last five years that Jacare will fight for a UFC title, and if I don't see it, I'm going to be a sad panda. So that's why I'm picking Jacare. Jacare for UFC champion. I need to see this happen at some point. And this and is going to be a year. there's a real
1: chance at the rate they're giving away interim belts, he will at least fight for one at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah, Romero's going to lock down a, an interim belt for me and, and be the third Mullen guy.
2: I fully he believe might. had Jacare been the one to fight uh, Weidman, he, he would have easily beat Weidman and become UFC champion. He should have gotten that title shot.
1: He might... He might have. There's ways he matches up with Weidman that are very favorable. All right. As for the rest of this card, and as I read this, you might understand why we're not going through the main card fight by fight. (laughs) Your co-main event, Dennis Bermudez fights Andre Feely. Yeah, we're on a cliff already, folks. Um, Bermudez, I believe, was last knocked out by... No, he lost a split decision to Darren Elkins.
0: Oh, he I didn't knocked
1: out remember by the that. Zombie, I Green Zombie. Lost to Elkins and Feely, but kind of sucks. Feely beat Artem Lobov, but Andre Feely can't win two fights in a row. And since he last beat Artem Lobov, I imagine he'll lose this one. Uh, Jordan Rinaldi is fighting Gregor Gillespie. This is actually, this isn't half bad. Actually, Gillespie's interesting. Um, Rinaldi. Got a Von Flucho. God help us all. Uh, but Gillespie's undefeated. He's got a really good wrestling background. He's been putting his hands together. I, I, I like Gillespie there a lot. But Drew Dober's on a main card. I ought to boycott this just in principle. Uh, Drew Dober is fighting Frank Camacho. Card. Drew Dober sucks if you or will if you don't strike with him. I'll, I'll go with Camacho. And just, oh God, who cares?
2: On the prelims, Camacho is uh, he's one and one, lost to Zhang Long, Lee beat Damian Brown by split decision.
1: Okay. Um, on the prelims, Bobby Green is fighting Eric Koch. I think Bobby Green probably takes that.
0: Uh, that Mursad would have been a really Be- important fight in 2012. Yes,
1: it would have. Uh, Mursad Bekdic is going to try to earn his way back into my good graces. He was dead to me after that Elkins fight. Uh, he's fighting Godofredo, Pepe, Cas Pepe. Bekdic's better win this. Like, Pepe's not the worst fighter in the world, but he's profoundly flawed, and I was really high on Bektic. Uh, You guys may recall... She better win that fight. Um, Caitlin Chikagian is moving up to flyweight to fight Mara Romero Barella. She's the first Italian female fighter. Um, Chikagian... I kind of thought she lost that Aldana fight. Barella's a really good grappler. That's tough. I'll go with Barella. Not sold on that. Uh, Random Marcos is fighting Juliana Lima. Hey, Leanna Lima. Like, I don't get it. I'll go with I'll go with Marcos. What derailed? Oh yeah, she. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll go with Marcos. Uh, justine Kish is fighting Ji Yeon Kim. I'll go with Kim there, actually. Uh, oh, another fat uh, just, guy.
0: Justine, Justine the stain Kish.
1: Yes, the same. Another one of Pat's guys, Vince Pichelle, is fighting Joachim Silva.
0: From hell. Ah,
1: Silva's undefeated. I'll go with Pichelle. That's all on that. And on our lone fight pass, fight, uh, Nico Price fights George Sullivan. Sullivan's been out for a while. Yeah, yeah, you, know, you saw the violation. Got knocked out by Alexander Yakovlev. I go with Price. I kind of like Price. He had a really bad fight against uh, Vicente Luque, but I think he can rebound from that. All right. Pat, I'll start with you. Uh, Any burning desires from the rest of that card? Because I'm in for a long night.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Vince Vince Pichel not making it on TV, but that's okay. I don't understand why he's not on TV. He's on Fox Sports one yeah that doesn't count <laughs> uh he's always pretty fun to watch got the way the uh the
1: the way the dad's tires are tires from christmas story they were round they were rounded they' once been made of rubber
0: exactly uh so uh, yeah funny, I, right? I'll probably keep up on Vince. uh love Random marcos uh gonna watch her fight hopefully it's good and uh the the me, who really liked MMA in 2012, is really excited for Bobby Green and Eric Koch and how they might factor in to a fight with lightweight champion Benson Henderson.
1: <laughs> oh, MMA five years ago was a uh, interesting time. All right, Jeff, what do you like about the rest of that card?
2: What's weird is as bad as the main card is outside the main event, and it is abysmal. There are, like, fights I think would have, that on the prelims, I think are, like, better than the main card, which is weird to me, but whatever. Uh, All seriousness,
0: I think think the Pichel fight is is main card worthy here.
2: Pichel,
1: Green, and Beckditch all should be, like, the other three fights on your main card.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think Green, Coke, I mean, you know, neither guy has been lighting the world on fire lately, but I think that can be a fun fight. Bektish, uh, Pepe, I like that fight, and of course, Cat's um, Dream Girl and favorite female fighter ever, Ronda Marcos versus Lima, I think is a fun fight as well. And also, Pichelle, uh versus Silva, I like. I like all those fights. I mean, even if you put those fights on the main card, I don't think like you have a like the best main card. But I think you have some solid match. You have some solid fighters, some solid matchups in there. Um, still, it's a very, it's a questionable main card, undoubtedly. This is,
1: and this is your Fox main card. This is on Big Fox, like, it's a rough time.
0: It's a rough I don't time. know. It's
2: like, to me, it's like they don't even, it, uh, it's like they don't even care right now.
0: Uh, <laughs> all not right. Like...
1: as a brief scheduling note, um, I believe the fourth
0: is the Super Bowl. That would be correct.
1: We will probably have to do uh, more of an early morning or an early afternoon show, because much as I am not the biggest fan of American football to begin with, much less uh, an Eagles Patriots Super Bowl. Spoiler alert! Oh, who cares?
2: We have to we have to recap the end of Leona Machida's career at the hand of Eric Anders.
1: Well, my, Correct. It, my, my point there was, like I, I'm not the biggest fan of that event, but there's a family tradition involved. Um, I have people in my family who are big fans, and there's a Super Bowl party that involves all the you know soda, hot wings, and various other candies I can stuff into my face, and I'm never going to turn that down. So we'll probably have to do on the 4th, again, uh, an earlier morning show. I will see what works for everyone. Um, and it, yeah, and it I will up... also
0: no longer be sober when I'm conscious that day <laughs> Fair enough
1: uh, So just, again, that's a couple of weeks out But just so everyone knows That's going to be coming up on the horizon Well, uh, I'll figure out exactly what time works for everyone um, All right, very briefly Were there any major news items we wanted to touch on Such as There's one I want to bring up before we get into that um, For whatever Jeff might bring up
2: uh, Ferguson the UFC, versus Habib? Or? Which,
1: yeah, I, I <laughs> hope happens, it? But, but history has told me won't. And related to that, the pseudo-promotion of Tony Ferguson to lightweight champion, but the non-stripping of Conor McGregor of the lightweight championship, because...
0: <laughs> okay,
1: Pat, I want... I, You have, again, a deeper knowledge of combat sports history than I do. Give me some context for this. If Dana White is to be believed, and bear in mind that's like saying, you know, if gravity doesn't work. But the UFC has not officially stripped Conor McGregor of the lightweight championship. But they're promoting Tony versus Khabib as for the UFC lightweight championship. Are we literally about to enter a boxing scenario where there are two people claiming to be the legitimate champion?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it may even be worse. Uh, for example, in boxing, uh, the one of the major sanctioning bodies, the WBA, they have a policy where they recognize in the same division both a regular champion and a super champion which is anybody who wins the regular championship and then unifies with another of the recognized championships, that person is then recognized as the super champion and the regular championship is declared vacant to be fought for by the number, by the top two ranked contenders. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at meaningless titles all over the place. It's not going to get as bad as boxing because at least this is in a one sanctioning body level, but very soon we could end up seeing the stupidity of super championships and diamond championships and uh, paper featherweight championships and uh, intercontinental championships and all the like. Uh, Jeff,
1: what are your thoughts on this situation? Because normally under these circumstances, the UFC would just strip McGregor and be done with it. And strip we'd...
2: McGregor. Strip him. Strip, and you uh, know what else? As, as much as it hurts, as, as much as this might hurt, and no, it's not his fault, strip Robert Whitaker.
1: Whitaker's makes, circumstance is completely different.
2: It, so what if it's different? You know what? Enough interim titles. It's either the title or it's not. Okay. You know, which... back
0: when, back when we started doing the four, one, one rankings years ago and all of us were involved in it at a certain point, Larry kind of suggested, you know, what are, what do we, you know, should we have a cutoff as far as how long we can keep someone ranked without them being active. And I kind of offered the policy of, well, if they're on the shelf and they don't have a fight scheduled within a calendar year, of their last fight, then you should take them out of the rankings or strip them of a title. I still think that's a fair policy under any circumstances that would be understood that when they're ready to come back, they could fight for that title immediately. W- or if they, if they don't, then they vacate their status as the rightful number one contender, and that interim champion is recognized as the champion.
2: I mean, we're past that point with Connor. I mean, look at the Exactly, at the that's UFC- the whole thing. We're look look at the USC rankings right now, where GSP is still ranked number four at middleweight. He's still my beating heart. After he's already after he's already relinquished the title and proclaimed he's never going to fight again at middleweight. No, the um, funny
0: thing is, too, they have him at number four. Like, why yes, wouldn't yeah. you immediately have him at number one?
2: I I I mean I mean I don't I don't if know. If you're going to rank um,
0: him at all, you know.
2: Look. I don't. I mean, I'm not. Maybe I need to apply to 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 work on the rankings and show these guys how it's done. Um, I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what. Maybe this isn't. This could be just an elaborate negotiating ploy by the UFC for all I know, with Conor, to get Conor to, you know, crap or get off the pot. Um, I don't think it's going to work. Um. They didn't actually declare this is this is for the undisputed title. They said it's Dana White said it's for the real belt, whatever that means. Um, I mean, I guess technically Ferguson, I mean, he has a belt, so maybe it is a real belt. But uh, look, an interim title, all it all, it's just a really fancy way of saying you know the current number one contender. But I guess, you know, it's good for the fighters because it means they're a champion and they get paid like a champion. So I kind of understand that. But, look, Conor didn't fight last year at all, other than the Mayweather fight. They let him do that. He doesn't really seem to be ready to fight again until, I mean, by September at the earliest. And not only that... He was slapping referees and officials and Bellator, which I think he still needs to answer for, and he is not. And I still think and he allegedly has get... a
0: bounty on his head. And,
2: I mean, look, whether he fights again or not, strip him, strip him of the title. Make this for the undisputed title. If he, if he is going to fight again, then he, then he can fight the winner of this fight. Other than that. Uh, Tony Ferguson El Kikui is the true champion He's fighting the true number one contender in this fight I hope the fight happens And we will see El Kikui be the boogeyman of the lightweight division And um, he will be the thing that haunts Conor McGregor when he goes to sleep I mean it's no wonder he's not getting back into the cage to fight again When you have killers like this Uh, But yeah um strip is this Conor, the, fourth McGregor, or the fifth
1: time they've scheduled for Tony and Khabib. I can't remember if it's 4 or 5. Uh, it's
2: been well I'm not I'm not 100%. But I'm on, honestly I wouldn't mind if they if they strip Robert Whittaker too because and, and look, Whittaker's situation sucks. Uh right now what, what apparently is going on with him, but if we don't know when he's going to come back, I, I mean I don't Whitaker's situation sounds very sounds very um, serious. He has st- he had staph infection in his stomach, and apparently it was eating away the organs in his stomach. We have no idea when he's going to recover, or if it. I, I don't even know if he can fight again after uh, after something that debilitating. Who knows? I think it's within the best interest of the UFC and the fans, and every, just everyone involved, just strip them of the title and just say, Robert, I'm very sorry about this. When you are healthy and ready to fight again, we will give, the, give you the option of fighting for the belt immediately when you come back. Just do that, and I think – and, and you know what? No matter what, set up a set up a policy for this. Set up an injury policy for your champions – so we don't have to deal with this garbage anymore. We shouldn't have dealt with it. One with Kate Cruz, they should, you know, they should have stripped him of the belt way before the, um, they ultimately did. And second of all, Cain Velasquez, when, when he during his whole injury spiel and he didn't fight for like two years, um, yeah, to so strip Connor, strip Robert Whitaker. My point is this: Is it fair, no? But life isn't fair sometimes. Oh, what happened?